0: Hello, everybody, and I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And coming to you today, uh, I have a special guest and a a family member to me now on on the phone, and it's Miss Stephanie, who is Courtney Coco's mom. Um, Stephanie, you there? I'm here. Okay.
1: Hey, Uh, Woody. Hey, Hey, everybody.
0: Hey, all right, y'all, so... The um, Miss Stephanie has something that she wants to read, and then we're going to talk about it briefly, and then we'll explain what we're doing today. Miss Stephanie, you go ahead.
1: Okay, um, three months ago, um, when the final podcast came out, uh, Who Murdered Courtney Coco, I was asked by APD Detective Tanner to remove the podcast. And he said it was because of too many details. Well, we did immediately. Because I did not want to interfere or hurt this investigation. And so that happened. Any and all tips or information, anything with Courtney's case, stopped. And then the investigation just inching along really slow. And who the suspects are? We walk among them. They carry on about their lives as usual while we wait for justice. And to say this is like a slap in the face is true. The number one suspect has even threatened a civil war. So with all this being said, I am asking Woody and Jim, as Courtney's mama, to the removed podcast and hopefully get people talking again. I have nothing to lose. And hope that in reposting this podcast, an arrest will be made, and Courtney will finally get the justice she deserves. Okay. Right. And I'm just asking y'all to please, please help us again.
0: Yes, ma'am. And and okay, y'all, I want to make something really, really clear. The when I record that episode myself, and I dropped it that night, and it wasn't even out for maybe. 45 minutes and uh, Miss Stephanie asked me to take it down. And I did so at her request. I did not take mm-hmm. it down because it had too much information in it. Everything that okay. that is on the podcast, the, the suspects in the case have been questioned by the authorities with lawyers present, even at some points with lawyers present. The Everything that's in mm-hmm. there, they already know. Their defense attorneys already know. And so I wasn't doing anything to hurt the investigation but I I still pulled the podcast because Miss Stephanie asked me to. Now, Miss Stephanie, the uh the right after the podcast and we pulled it, you had a meeting with some officials? Yes, sir.
1: And who, who, um, who all was there? We went to the DA's office um here at Rappi. And spoke with the head DA, and there was other people present in the room. And, and whose assistant? Who's, um,
0: can you give their victims names?
1: Victims' advocate, uh, the detectives, uh, the chief of police, and we were told in that meeting that they knew my child, that we knew who killed my child, and just needed a little more time to. Get everything they needed to make an arrest, and that was three months ago. And to this day, it's been arrested, and we have um, we did a little picket um, a couple of weeks ago at the uh, Rapids Parish Courthouse, hoping that maybe if they saw us with signs demanding that the DA would do something. I personally reached out to the DA that day and told him we were downstairs to so please come talk to us. And, um, he, uh, responded back that he was at a funeral and he would call me back ASAP. And, um, I'm, I still have not heard from him as of today. Right. So, um, this... I still have not heard from the detective since two weeks, two Thursdays ago. Right. So, um, I'm, just kind of just like a stick in the mud waiting uh, for answers right. as we've always done.
0: Right. So that, let me clarify it for the listeners. Um, y'all apologize. Mm-hmm. If it's any poor audio, the, you went to a meeting and I know you, when y'all go to those meetings, you roll family deep. This is a super strong family. Y'all. So I'm sure mm-hmm. your mama was yes. there. Yes. My ma and your sisters yes. were there. Yes, and they, and y'all mm-hmm. yes. when we, we got this case file from the man, they, Every meeting they've had in fifteen years, the all the information. I mean, they they should have been detectives. Okay, so I know when they went in there, yep. they don't just go in there and listen. They go in there and they they write things down, et cetera. So I just want to clarify: the, yep. the, the DA Philip Terrell was there.
1: Yes,
0: and, and yes, and the sheriff at the time, whoever he was, that and and they he they he told you just gives a couple weeks. It, but first of all, the most important thing is when the information that we gave them on the suspects, he told you that is correct. There's no doubt in his mind that they are the ones that murdered Courtney. Well, hey, murdered hey, hey, my child, I'm
1: sorry, Seth, his hey, name, and everything.
0: Stephanie, can you say it again? Because you, your phone cut out. Uh, did he tell you that the ones, the suspects we had, that that he knew that they. Yes. He he
1: told you where who killed my child and
0: and that we were right. He,
1: he specifically met number one. Yeah.
0: Yes, sir. And then didn't they? He promised to take it to a grand jury.
1: Yes, sir. He said that that's what we would need um, to get a grand jury to, uh, I guess, see how strong of a case we have.
0: Right. Or, and and but, and and but you've heard nothing. Three months, y'all. Now, listen. It's Nothing. three. It's three months as of yesterday. It was November the tenth, and this is now uh, February tenth. February tenth. So it's today, I guess. But the uh, the so this is it, I, and I have not edited anything Miss Stephanie from the first episode. I have not listened to it again, and I'm not going to. I'm a, I'm going to put splice you in our conversation today onto it. I and mean, we're going to let it go, and the people can do with it what they want. All right. Now, the I know a bunch of lifers called yep. after we picketed it the other day, um, and the the district attorney's standard offices. They even recorded them saying that we don't have a case file. We don't have anything to do with it. APD, Alexandria PD yep. has it. So the, if y'all, um, yep. if y'all want to get up in arms, and 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 you know, I'm not telling you how to feel, but I can tell you. How I feel about it. And if you want to do something, the, obviously yeah. calling the district attorney's office isn't going to do any good. Although he promised Miss Stephanie that, you know, give me a couple of weeks. It's been three months. And even after we picketed that day, that's when he put the uh, release a statement to the media about he basically they don't have anything to do with it. It's APD's decision. Um, uh, and, yeah. and he told yeah. you he was going to call you, he would call you. He was at a funeral. He never bothered to call you.
1: ASAP. Yeah. Yes, sir. And never never called bo- me. And,
0: and, and, and so y'all, the, you did listen to it. Um, do with it what you will. And we are not going to give up on justice for Courtney, especially when the powers that be never. sat there in the room and told her entire family. That the 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 murderers they know who it is they know we've got it right yeah. and and uh, they you know they're going to grand jury the whole nine yards and they only have a decency to yeah. give her a phone call in three months so uh, Miss Stephanie that when we drop this episode I I, I reckon your phone's going to be blowing up again they're going to ask you to pull it et cetera and I'm going on the record stating unequivocally I don't know what they've got. Uh, evidence-wise, in the last three months that they they didn't have before, but I'm telling you, everything mm-hmm. that that is on this episode, it, the bad guys already know, their lawyers know, and the cops know. It's not too much information. The only the, the way it's be too much information is when the general public finds out and they really get pissed off that nothing's been done and these killers are walking free. Yes. So I'm not I'm not taking it down yes, again. Sir. I don't care who I don't care if Donald Trump no, calls. Sir. I'm not taking it down. This is no, for Courtney. Sorry. So, and, and and y'all would I've, never do anything to hurt an investigation. But these facts are already known to these guys. But the the we're not They're taking already
1: it known. It. That's
0: right. That's right. We're doing it for Courtney. Yes, sir. And we want to thank everybody. For and that's
1: support. the main doing what I need to do is for Courtney. That's right. And if I get arrested or in trouble, I'm, I'm not worried about that either.
0: You may. I guess what I'll be right there with you, sweetheart. All right. And and uh, yes, so but we had we're not breaking any laws by the way, I just want you to know that. But the we're, we're gonna break somebody's okay, somebody's ego, but uh, that's on them,
1: just trying to hold someone accountable for what they did. That's to right. The child. Well, hey, these
0: are elected, you didn't put there, these these are public yes, officials elected that have, officials. they have to answer, even the police department has to answer. I mean, it's just what it is. How dare you go three months and and, and not so You promised you. This is not the first time, Stephanie. How many years ago did you call me for the first time about this case? And then they promised you the moon, and they did nothing. And then yeah. they promised you the moon, and it did nothing. Yep. So, but anyway, two
1: years ago. Yep.
0: So, well, yes, sir. Well, you know. You so know.
1: I'm ready to do what I got to do. It's it's not about me. It's about Courtney.
0: Okay. Well, we're gonna do it, and, and um. <laughs> You know, I got love for you and and the whole family, and we'll let the yes, we'll let the craziness be what it would be after the episode drops, and and we're not above picking it again or doing whatever we have to do. So,
1: uh, no, sir, we're not.
0: Y'all, so you, y- 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 um, Stephen, thank you so much. Want answers?
1: I want to rest. Thank y'all very much for listening. Uh,
0: uh, we love you, sweetie. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you, Woody. All right. right. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Yeah, the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. To attorney prior to during any question, I can't afford one of quarter point one for you. You understand your rights?
1: Your crime spree was over, Yeah, you thought you had it licked, but it
0: man made you should turn to <laughs>
1: Real life real crime.
0: Warning. Each episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast will contain descriptions of acts of violence or of a sexual nature and are for people that are eighteen years. Or older. Heed my warning, people. I do not get the facts of these cases off the internet or from some television show. These facts I'm retelling were presented to me by the victims of the crime or the perpetrators who committed the crimes. My descriptions of the crime scenes are what I saw with my own two eyes. If you are going to get offended, Turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. As always, I'm your host, Woody Overton. I'm coming to you today and going to tell the story on this episode of who murdered Courtney Coco. And without a doubt... This is the most important recording I've ever made and probably will ever make. Um, and, you know, I'm unscripted and unedited, etc. cetera, but I have been thinking for weeks now on how to present this in a chronological in order because uh, everything that I'm going to say is so important to Courtney's case. Um, so you just have to bear with me. But, you know, we haven't dropped an episode on Courtney for the last three weeks. This would have been for almost a month because the investigation into her homicide was active and ongoing. And the last thing I would ever, ever do is something to hinder the investigation by authorities into Courtney's case. I don't want to do anything or didn't want to do anything to screw up uh, any potential evidence or anything like that. And I'm not doing it now because everything I'm going to tell you today, the suspects in this case, they already know every single bit of this information. They have been told this information. And not only have they been told that this information, their defense attorneys know all of this information that I'm going to present to you now. So there's no chance of me messing up anything or interfering with anything because they know they've, they've been told they've been questioned. They've done, you know, had everything presented to them that I'm going to present to you. And I'm not going to use their names, but I'm going to tell you the story of who murdered Courtney, and I'm going to present to you evidence, okay? The evidence came to light through our investigation, and then we turned it over to law enforcement, and and it's come to light from various sources. We'll just say that. But first of all, I want to thank everybody out there. We took on this monumental task of Courtney's 15 year old cold case. Uh, I don't know how long ago it's been y'all. It's it's what almost three months, I guess. And I promised Courtney's mama that I wasn't going to give up on this case and I'm not going to give up on it. And the, Everything I'm going to tell you today, I've already told her, and she knows, and the family knows, and she is 100% agrees with me putting this out there, Uh, um, so we make sure we get justice for Courtney, okay? So what I want to ask each of you to do is to not play armchair detective. I don't want you to, to... come up with any theories or anything like that. I just want you to listen to the facts that have been uncovered during this investigation. The evidence that has been uncovered during this investigation since we started it. Now you know that we took it on Courtney's case. It was 15 years old. It was frozen. It wasn't just cold. It was frozen. And we started it And we reached out and, you know, the crowdsourcing technique and and using the fans and the listeners and appealing to the public to come forward with information. And you answered so many heroes and I'm not going to name their names today either, but so many heroes stepped forward, put their own selves in jeopardy and in peril to come forward and give evidence against these two, and I'm gonna call them suspects. Um, I'm gonna call them suspect one and suspect two. These people came forward and and listen, let me let me back up for a second. We got so many different suspects. We didn't have tunnel vision on this, so these Suspect one and suspect two weren't even on our radar when this thing started, right? And we had all of these different angles and all the tons and volumes of information. And we worked through it through seven weeks. It took Jim and I to narrow the field down and really focus in to the point where we had enough evidence where we no longer being law enforcement officers had to turn it over to the officials so they could. Further the investigation. Now, when we turned it over, we never quit working the case. We never quit taking new tips, new leads, and following those things down, disproving them, or adding to the arsenal of evidence that we have against suspect one and suspect two. So it was a very, very thorough investigation on our end. And We, as y'all know, at a certain point, we had to present it to the the powers that be so they could further it. Um, And today, I don't want y'all playing detective. I want you to be a jury member. I want you to act like you're a jury member in a trial and you're hearing evidence. And when I get done telling all the evidence today, I want you to decide. You make your own decision on what should happen. I don't know what should happen. You you make your own decision. You draw your own conclusions when I get done today. And you do with your conclusion what you want to. Okay? I'm not telling you to do anything one way or another. But you do whatever you feel led to do. All right? And I'm certainly not doing this to put anybody on blast or say somebody's done something wrong or not done something wrong. I am laying out facts that were discovered in the investigation. And you, I want you to listen like you're a juror member. And at the end, you let... Whatever you think it may be, you let it be known. Okay? So, that being said, the the, um, suspect one and suspect two, a little bit of background on them. They have been best friends since they were little boys, ride or dies, absolute best friends, running buddies. Uh, did everything together, et cetera. The super, super tight way back when, at least they were in 2004. Um, it, ca- it came to light through one of the many tips that came to light was someone called in and said that they had, a person in their life or had a person in their life previously that always said that suspect one killed Courtney Coco. And he had always been adamant that Courtney Coco was murdered by suspect number one. Now this is ends up being suspect number two that's telling this person this over these years. And it got to the point they were so adamant about it that the, they actually made a recording of suspect two talking about suspect number one. And they did it under the guise of um, asking suspect number two, Hey, have you heard about this podcast about real life, real crime, the podcast? And, he was like, oh, I'm, I'm trying to try to get involved in all that. And this is on a recording, y'all. And I'm going to paraphrase it for you. But the, when he said, well, you know, um, who do you think did it? And he said, suspect one did it. And he said, suspect one did it 16 times in s- approximately six minutes. He said it's suspect one killed Courtney Coco. And where he wasn't even on the radar at this point until during that recorded conversation, he slipped up. When the person asked him, he said, well, you know, how do you think he did it? And he said, I don't know. I don't know how he did it. He said, but man, she she looked like she was beat all to hell, bruised all up from her waist up. On her body, and 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 then he realized what he said, and then he said, he said, but I heard the autopsy report said she wasn't beaten or anything, and he said I can't figure that out because she she looked like she was beat to hell. Well, the only problem with that is y'all, you would not know that that was never released to the public. It was never, it wasn't, just wasn't done. Nobody had that information. Now let me tell you what suspect number two was talking about suspect. Number two was talking about what we call lividity. Okay. your Lividity is when you die and your heart quits beating, whatever position you're sitting in, once your heart quits pumping the butt blood throughout your body, gravity takes control and all your blood drains to the lowest point of your body. All right, And when it does that, it looks horrible. It looks like severe black and blue bruising. And you think about it, you get a bruise, somebody hits you on your arm, you get a bruise, that's because the blood pools in that spot. Or you bump into something, you get a bruise, that's because the blood pools in that spot, right? That's what gives you the discoloration. But when your heart quits beating, it, let's say you're laying down on your back, And your legs are in the air, you're put in the trunk of a car uh, right after you're killed and you're left there for a couple of days. Guess where all your blood's going to go? It's going to flow down towards your bottom up to your shoulders. And if your head's been up, it won't be on your head. Right. But so suspects two says in this recording, he says, when when asked, how do you think suspect number one did? He said, man, I don't know. She looked like she was beat all shit. Man, she was bruised from her, you know, from her, uh, from her butt to, you know, her shoulders or however it was he said it exactly. But even when he said that, I was like, holy shit, man. He, I mean, and then he said, but the, the, the autopsy said that she wasn't beaten or anything and, and there was no signs of trauma. He said, I can't figure that out. Cause she was she looked like she was beat to shit but, and she's just really black and blue. From her lower part of her body to the top part. The only way you know that is if you saw it. So that's the first time that suspect two comes on our radar. Now, and and again, he, suspect one, Uh, he said, he's adamant suspect one killed her. He killed her. He killed, I'm telling you, he killed her and I'm telling you, he, he killed her. And he, I mean, 16 times he said it. And I think he said in approximately six minutes before maybe he, you know, got uncomfortable with what he was saying. And then the rest of the recording is just fluff. Uh, Um, and he changed the topic. So I drove through the night and picked up that recording and that along with some other stuff that we we did have some information on suspect 1 and I'll start to piece that together for you now um suspect 1 was living with his girlfriend at the time and on the night that the autopsy puts that Courtney Coco was killed the night of the domino game He was at their residence, and he left the residence for approximately 30 minutes or so, and Courtney lived right down the street from him. And then he returns, and then a couple hours later, he leaves, same night, and he never comes back until sometime on Monday. And in fact, on Monday, his mother had to drive, I'm talking about Suspect One's mother, had to drive from Alexandria, Louisiana to Lake Charles, Louisiana to pick suspect one up to bring him back to Alexandria. Problem with that is his girlfriend said, there's no reason for his mama to have to go down there and pick him up. He had his own vehicle here in Alexandria. I don't know where the vehicle was, but I mean, you know, certainly it didn't break down or anything like that. Cause he was driving immediately after that. Um, other th- things about suspect one. The a tip was called in that suspect one asked another person to clock him in at his work on the Saturday morning. Uh the morning, the Saturday morning after the domino game. He called this guy and said, Hey man, can you clock me in, punch me in at uh at work? Why do you do that? Right. And, and so, and he's gone and for the weekend, and he could, his mom has to go pick him up on Monday from Lake Charles. And let me tell you, geographically, Alexandria, Louisiana is in the middle of the state. Lake Charles is in the bottom western corner of the state, close to the Texas line. And, and it's probably, I don't know, 50 miles from Winnie, Texas, where Courtney's body was dumped. Okay. So, uh, immediately after that and and after Courtney's funeral, et cetera, suspect one starts writing in his girlfriend's diary to Courtney unsolicited. He had never written in this girl's diary before, ever, and he starts writing stuff in the diary and she's just thought it was so freaking weird that he's writing stuff to a deceased a murder girl in in her diary right take it a step further within a couple of weeks after the funeral he shows up at home and comes in the door and has a new comforter set that he had just purchased for them, for him and his girlfriend, and guess what, is the exact same comforter set that went missing from Courtney's house. And that this very distinctive because it was leopard skin, okay? I don't know too many guys that are going to go out and buy a leopard skin comfort set. But he does that and he brings it home. Again, the girlfriend thought that was highly irregular uh, and strange and the they broke up um, i don't know a couple months later or whatever and then they got back together and the girlfriend likes suspects one's mom and they went over to visit her at her residence they walk in the door suspects one's mom is sitting on the couch and she's covered up in what appears to be Courtney Coco's comforter the leopard skin print comforter. And she said it freaked her out. And it, it, they, and she was like, and it just took her back. And she just, you know, was really kind of weirded out about that. And she knows, she knows what Courtney's comforter looked like. Uh, so, and, and that's a proven fact. The moving back to suspect two. Suspects two the, the person I'm gonna got the, the audio recording for suspect two for us that um she said on that weekend suspect two on that Friday had been in Alexandria riding four wheelers at a place they called the Dunes with Courtney and that he had got in a four wheeler wreck. Uh, that afternoon, that Friday, and he was supposed to come to Lake Charles that weekend for a birthday party and bring a bike or something like that. And he never showed up. The he, When he does show up, it, it's Sunday sometime. Uh, he shows up and he has a cut on his hand, a fresh cut on his hand, and he's missing his wedding ring. And when she, they asked him, said, you know, what happened? He said, oh, I cut my hand on a vehicle I was working on and I lost my ring. This person was suspicious of that statement and that he had been gone all weekend, missed a birthday party, et cetera. So they went out. Now, suspect two had a job in a work van, he delivered items to convenience stores at between Lake Charles and Winnie, Texas. The items he delivered were like over the counter medications and stuff like that. so he has this work van uh, um and he this person goes outside and looks in the work van in the back of it and sees some. A large amount of saran wrap, some drug paraphernalia, and a pair of small, size small female blue panties, underwear, in the back of the van. They confronted suspect one, The person confronted suspect one about the underwear, etc., and he, he denied it, and what have you, and played it off and and he had to load his van at this time. He said he had to load his van and go make his delivery route. Stay with me. This is important. So he shows up after being gone in late that late that Sunday night. And he's got fresh cut on his hand. Wedding ring is missing. And he says he has to load his van. And the person went outside and found the underwear, and the, uh, the woman's underwear in the back of the van. So. Now we're looking at two things. The. Because of what he said on the tape that was made for us about the bruising, the severe bruising. Man, it looked like she was beat to shit from her waist up, and and nobody knew that. And if he had taken the time to look it up, he, he would have known it was lividity. And it happens to every single one of us when we die. Whatever position you're sitting in, the blood drains down that position, and it makes you look like you're severely bruised. So that put him on, on the radar. Then that's when we found out about you know, he returned that weekend, uh, late that Sunday night, had the fresh cut on his hand and the panties in the back of the van and all that. Um, some point we, we we turned it over and the investigation continues and the investigation shows that It's discovered The also some tips came in to us that suspect one straight up told them that he murdered Courtney Coco and wrapped her in her comforter and took her out and put her in the trunk of the car. All right. Now, he didn't just tell one person. He didn't just tell two people. He didn't just tell. Three people, he told four people, not at the same time. He told four different people that have come forward, given sworn affidavits and are willing to testify in court that, Hey, he told me he murdered her, wrapped her up in her comforter and put her in the trunk of the car. Now. You put somebody in the trunk of a car like that, again, and the levity sets in. And we know Courtney's body, when it was found Monday morning, showed advanced signs of decomposition. And at first, the detectives, Detective and them, couldn't believe that she had only been dead for a couple of days because her, her body was so far decomposed. Well, that's because it was riding in the trunk of a car and it was still hot that that time in October, the beginning of October that year. Now, you know how hot your car is when you get into it regularly, right? Like the front of your car with with the windows, et cetera. The the trunk is like that times a hundred. It's like literally like an oven. So that would account for the advanced decomposition. We know Courtney was seen alive that night. She's on video at a convenience store late Friday night. Um, and there's a lot more statements and and witnesses that can uh, attest to the fact that she was she was alive late Friday night the he told four separate people that he murdered her at different times over over the span of the years four separate people these people don't even know each other and that these people had the the balls enough to come forward once they heard. The podcast and um, and other people said, well, this person said that suspect one told them and this part that person was reached out to him and they were like, hell, yeah, uh, he told me, uh, um, you know, I'll never forget that he told me. And yes, they gave their statements and they are willing to testify in court. So. That's what that's where we're, we're at, right? So the. Suspect two is brought in and asked about the they didn't ask him straight away or play the tape tape for him or anything like that. It asked him, do you know anything about suspect one killing Courtney Coco? Nope, don't know anything about it. Absolutely nothing. Well, we know that's a lie. I mean he said it sixteen times in six minutes. Then they press him a little bit more, and he, he gives a little bit more, and then he goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and he, he gives a little bit more every time. He ends up finally saying that, that suspect one told him that his mama, suspect one's mama, got Courtney's blanket out of her car and took it inside and washed it inside her residence and watched it. Well, it doesn't really make a lot of sense, right? Why would you just say that after you've been, you changed your story so many times, why do you say that? And the one thing that never changes y'all. And I've been doing this a long time. The one thing that never changes is the truth. You don't have to keep changing your story if you're telling the truth. So he ends up saying that, uh, um, Suspect one, he said, I think he said at first he told him on the phone and he, he ends up after he's pressed a little bit further and says, no, I actually went over there two days after Courtney's body was found. And he told me my mama got Courtney's blanket out of comforter out of the trunk of the car and took it inside and washed it. Now, remember, this is the same blanket, allegedly, that. Suspect one's girlfriend saw the mama covered up in however many months later. So suspect two continues to get pressed and to the point where, you know, he he doesn't say too much else other than that. And he leaves. I'm going to look at something real quick. All right, so yeah, suspect two worked for a delivery company, which delivered over-the-counter medications to convenience stores. His delivery route was from Lake Charles, Louisiana to Winnie, Texas. He had a delivery van provided to him by the company he worked for. They he had two residences at that time. One was in in Alexandria and one was in Lake Charles. Um the, the person that came forward about him that is, is adamant that he was not there that weekend because they were pissed that he missed the party and didn't bring the bike like he was supposed to. Um, that person gave us a, a sworn affidavit about his strange behavior and, and his whereabouts, uh, about suspects two's were whereabouts or lack thereof the weekend of the murder and his strange behavior thereafter. That person stated that he Suspect 2 was missing that weekend, and they remember this clearly because he was attending a work-related party with that person on Friday, for which he missed because he was involved in a four-wheeler accident earlier that day while chasing Courtney Coco on a four-wheeler if she was looking to purchase from him. This person said that, They received a call from Suspect Two's mother that he was involved in the four-wheeler accident at the Deans outside of Alexandria, Louisiana, and wouldn't be attending the party. Um, and this person said that they, she, they argued with Suspect Two and that he never returned home to Lake Charles, Louisiana that weekend. Person remembers that we can clearly because they were incredibly disappointed in suspect two, and, and were angry that that suspect two was missing and didn't pick up the bicycle. On October the fourth, two thousand four, in the early morning hours, suspect two arrived back home in Lake Charles, Louisiana, where he resided. Um, this person says. She was extremely suspicious of Suspect two's behavior and drug usage. They noticed that Suspect 2 had a cut on his hand and that his wedding band was missing. They asked him about this, and he claimed that he lost the ring at the shop where he does mechanic work on the side. They didn't believe what he was saying, so they decided to look inside his band. When they looked inside the band that he used for work, they noticed some drug paraphernalia, A lot of Saran Wrap, along with a single pair of blue pair of blue female underwear, size small. That this person became very upset with suspect two and began accusing him of of having an affair, et cetera. Now, this was only a few hours before Courtney's body was found in Winnie, Texas. Suspect two then left a few minutes later in the work van after. Loading his work supplies and began making his work deliveries. It's to be noted that Courtney's body, and, and I know y'all know this, but was found nude from the waist down. After the discovery of Courtney, Courtney's body on October the 4th, 2004, according to this person's official statement, Suspect 2 became obsessed with talking about Courtney. He would repeatedly would say that Suspect 1 did this and that Suspect 1 has the comforter that was missing from Courtney's house. This person asked Suspect 1 how he knows that information and how he knows it's Courtney's, and he wouldn't answer the question. This person stated that it was really weird that Suspect Two would constantly continue to talk about Courtney like he was obsessed with her. In late 2004, this person questioned Suspect Two about Courtney and her death. Suspect Two became irate over the questioning and began beating on this person and threw him out of a moving vehicle. This person remembers this clearly because it was the first day of a uh, of a, a new job that they had in Alexandria and they had to be comforted by their new work associates as it was very obvious she she was beaten up that day and had a traumatic op- episode. This, reper- this person recorded a conversation that she was having with Suspect 2 in September 2019. This was the one she recorded for us all. On this voice recording, Suspect 2 stated 16 times that Suspect 1 did this to Courtney and how upset the family is going to be when they found out who actually did the murder. Suspect 2 stated that Courtney was wrapped in her comforter and put in the trunk of her car. He further stated on the audio recording that Courtney's body was black and blue from the waist up. Note. This was never known to the public or released. This is because of her position in the trunk along with the lividity, which was only present from the waist up. When law enforcement went to pick up suspect two finally to interview him, the first thing he tells the detective is when he gets to to his residence, he says, and I quote, the sex says he needed to, the text says he needed to go talk about uh, Courtney Coco. And suspect two says, I've waited 15 years for this. He voluntarily then went with the detectives to be interviewed about Courtney Coco's death. He denied having any involvement or knowledge about Courtney's case other than saying that suspect one had her blanket at his mother's house. He said he was told by suspect one's grandmother before changing his story later on that he was actually told by Suspect 1 himself. So that's the first time he changed it. When asked about his whereabouts on the weekend of October 1st, 2004 through October 4th, 2004, Suspect 2 stated that he was at the dunes with Courtney Coco and Suspect 1 riding four-wheelers. When he got there, he injured himself and had to go to the hospital. He had to leave his four-wheeler of Courtney and came back to get it from Suspect 1 at the Dunes on Saturday, October 2, 2004. He said he went back to his residence where he slept most of the day. He left to go back home to Lake Charles, Louisiana on Sunday morning to clean out his work van and load it up for deliveries and then start early in the AM on Monday. Note. This is not factual because if he went home, he wouldn't have missed the party. He also did not have his work van loaded because he he had to leave for Winnie, Texas, where Courtney's body was found, and he went back to Lake Charles, Louisiana, to load his van. And that was late on Sunday night, and that's when that person found got suspicious and went out and looked in the van and found the panties and the saran wrap, et cetera. Um, Supposedly, he was given a a voice stress analysis test, and he failed. After failing the the voice stress analysis test, suspect 2 then changed his story completely. Before, he had no involvement or knowledge. Now, he started to claim the following. He claimed that he was called by Suspect 1 two days after Courtney's body was found, which be, which would be October 6, 2004, on a Wednesday. He claimed that Suspect 1 told him that his mother found the comforter in his car and she took it inside and washed it. Suspect 2 then went on to say that he drove by the location where Courtney Coco's body was found in Winnie, Texas, one time in the early morning hours before her body was even discovered. He claimed that he didn't know her body was there at the time that he drove by. He then went back to Lake Charles, Louisiana, because he forgot his delivery load for his daily deliveries. Now, again, he's changing his story. He he said he had loaded the van on Sunday morning, and now it's Sunday night, and he just happens to drive by where Courtney's body was dumped. And let me tell you something. I went there. You don't happen to drive by this place. And it had nothing to do with his delivery route. One second. I'll make sure I'm not missing anything. Alright, so... As I told you, he changed the story again. From not knowing anything to... Putting himself at... The body dump scene before late that night before she was found early Monday morning. Now, listen to this. Suspect two then went on to say that he drove by the location where Courtney's body was found in Winnie, Texas one time in the early morning hours before her body was even discovered. I told you that. Um, but the, he said he did that, but he had to run back to Lake Charles. It's not You can't just run back to Lake Charles. It's like 50 or 60 miles to where her body was dumped. But um, he goes back to Lake Charles because he just happened to forget all his delivery stuff, right? And that's when he showed up, cut on his hand, ring missing. And the panties were found in the van. Now listen to this. Suspect 2 stated that he knew that the phone records are going to put him there. Meaning at the, the body dump site. That he knows his phone records are going to put him there. And that is the reason why he wanted to admit to why he was in Winnie, Texas. He said he passed by Winnie, Texas three Specific times on October the 4th, 2004, before and after Courtney's body was discovered. Suspect 2 then changed the story once again that he actually got up early in the morning on Monday to clean out his van. He drove to Winnie, Texas before turning around to head home to get his workload. He doesn't remember a pair of panties being found in the van, but he did admit to drug paraphernalia and saran wrap. He stated that he didn't, he did not have a delivery near where Courtney's body was found. Okay, so it's to be noted that this is a ninety-minute drive one way from Winnie, Texas, to Lake Charles. When he comes back to load his van, because he happened to forget his his delivery material, he comes back to load his van. That's when the the panties were found in the van. He didn't have a delivery anywhere near where Courtney's body was found. He admits that that person confronted him. He admits to her looking through the van. He admits to her accusing him of an affair and drug paraphernalia. He then requested an attorney and was released at that time from any further questioning. A couple days later, on around 11-3 of 2019, suspect two contacted two other people who came forward and, and, and made statements about this. And it says, suspect two confided in these people and as they as they were driving uh, um and he stated what well, these these people stated that suspect 2 was crying uncontrollably when they first got on the phone suspect 2 said he is going to prison for the rest of his life because his dna is on the trunk of Courtney's car suspect 2 further went on to tell them that he was in Winnie, Texas and drove by where her body was dumped three times, but didn't know that is where her body was dumped. And it was by coincidence. He also told them that his phone records will put him there. And that is why, uh, <laughs> and, and that was because he was making deliveries in the area. And, and that's just simply not true. Then the, that, place where Courtney's body was recovered is nowhere near the story he had a delivery at in Winnie, Texas. So, take it for that. That suspect too. Uh, you heard the facts as they've been uncovered. His story changed continuously and he even ends up putting himself there. He evens up ends up telling people his DNA is going to come back in Courtney's vehicle. When he was questioned about this, you know what his excuse was? He said, well, I'm being framed. I'm being framed um, by a person that was in my life at that time. They put my blood in Courtney's, trunk of Courtney's car. That blood, by the way, y'all, was mixed with uh, Courtney's DNA. So." There you have it on Suspect 2. Now, bear with me one second. Back to Suspect 1. So I'm I'm doing this, so I'm making sure I'm not leaving anything out. Excuse me one second. Suspect 1. He was the boyfriend of this person I told you all about in 2004. Um, this this girlfriend and his has totally been cleared in this investigation numerous times, including by myself, uh, by a polygraph, and by other people on the polygraph, okay? That she, that she had absolutely nothing to do with it. But she did say that he left he went missing uh, on 10/1/2004 for a short about for about 40 minutes and a short time later he returned that after 40 minutes he returned and a short time later he left again after midnight and did not return until monday october the 4th 2004 and that was the morning that courtney's body was found um on that monday he was picked up suspect 1 is picked up in Lake Charles Louisiana now this is where suspect 2 has a residence at also he's picked up in Lake Charles Louisiana even though he lived in Alexandria by his mother and was driven back to Alexandria Louisiana again is is a known fact that he had his own vehicles proven by his girlfriend at the time and so it didn't make sense as why he needed to be picked up in Lake Charles. This is confirmed by the girlfriend's statement. According to suspect two, suspect one called suspect two and asked him to come by his mother's house. Suspect two stated that when he got there, suspect one met him outside. And suspect one told him that his mother found Courtney's Blanket inside of his vehicle and took it inside and washed it. To date, four witnesses have come forward and provide sworn affidavits and are willing to testify that suspect one told them directly that he killed Courtney, wrapped her body in a blanket, and stuffed her in the trunk of her vehicle. These statements came from four different people. Period. Uh, independent of each other, and they all had the same story. This came to light after the podcast was aired, our podcast, Real Life, Real Crime, was aired in 2019. When Suspect One was interviewed about those people giving the sworn statements, he said, they're just trying to get him fucked. And again, after Courtney's death, Suspect One started to write into his girlfriend's diary about Courtney um, he returns home to their residence one day with the z- same comforter set that Courtney had, but this one was brand new, y'all, still in the packaging. And then at some point later, they had broken up, got back together. They go over to visit suspect one's mom because the girlfriend liked her. walk in, and she's covered up with the leopard skin comforter same one Courtney had. And this goes with him supposedly telling Suspect 2 that his mama took Courtney's comforter inside and washed it. Now, why why would you wash it if you were going to throw it away? According to his work record, suspect one only worked 15 hours the week that Courtney died and he was not at work on that Monday, October 4th, 2004. A witness that called into Crime Stoppers and has been verified was asked by a suspect one to clock him into work on that Saturday, October 2nd, 2004, even though he wasn't at work. He was later picked up in Lake Charles on Monday by his mother. His alibi has always been that he was at work on that Saturday. But when he was questioned about that alibi, he changed the story and claimed that he was at the dunes that Saturday riding four-wheelers with Courtney and Suspect 2. Suspect 1 and suspect two have been best friends since they were toddlers. Suspect two has always made the comments to the person I mentioned that suspect one killed Courtney and his mother has the blanket. And then we're talking over a period of years, y'all. And this is before we got her to do the recording, but on the audio recording of suspect two, he states 16 times in six minutes that suspect one killed Courtney. He further stated the family is going to be so upset when they actually found out who did it. Suspect one also supposedly failed polygraph testing. Um, There are two types of evidence, y'all. Two types. You either have direct evidence or you have circumstantial evidence and the, I want to explain this to you because it's so important that you understand, you hear people saying, Oh, this case is all circumstantial. Well, circumstantial is not a bad thing. Although this case has both elements, direct and circumstantial evidence, the, this, I'm actually going to read to you. I know what it is, but I want to read. So it's, it can be clear and not mistaken. All right. There are two types of evidence from which you can determine what the facts are in this case. Direct evidence and circumstantial evidence. When a witness, such as an eyewitness, asserts actual knowledge of a fact, that witness's testimony is direct evidence. On the other hand, evidence of facts and circumstances from which reasonable inferences may be drawn is circumstantial evidence. Let me give you an example. Assume a person looks out a window and saw that snow was falling. If he later testified in court about what he had seen, his testimony would be direct evidence that snow was falling at the time and he saw it happen. Assume, however, that he looked out the window and saw no snow on the ground and that he then went to sleep and saw snow on the ground after he woke up. His testimony about what he had seen would be circumstantial evidence that it had snowed while he was asleep. The law says that both direct and circumstantial evidence are acceptable as a means of proving a fact. The law does not favor one form of evidence over another. It is for you to decide how much weight to give to any particular evidence, whether it is direct or circumstantial. You are permitted to give equal weight to both. Circumstantial evidence does not require a greater degree of certainty than direct evidence. In reaching a verdict in a case, you you should consider all evidence presented, both direct and circumstantial. Now, let me tell you something. Most people don't realize and that DNA, unless you have the person on video where, and they touch the counter like in a robbery and you get the DNA from that spot, that would be direct evidence. DNA left at a crime scene is circumstantial evidence. The, the, if, if I go in and I commit a crime and I cut myself and I leave my blood and I leave and my blood's there, but nobody saw me. There's no no cameras, no witnesses, no nothing, but the crime lab comes out and they test my blood. My blood is in CODIS and it comes back as a match to me. That crime lab technician is going to testify at my trial that whatever the number is, yes, it, it's a one in three trillion chance that 3.6 trillion chance that, that this is not Woody Overton's DNA. Meaning that, I mean, you know how many people are in the world, right? This is almost just unbelievable odds that it's not mine. But guess what? It's still circumstantial evidence. It's not direct evidence because it's circumstantial. You can't prove it. You have to infer by the circumstances in the circumstances on the DNA, DNA would be, it's such an astronomical number that not even that many people exist in the world that it has to be mine. But it's still inferred. In this case, suspect one telling four different people that he killed Courtney. I would call that direct evidence. They heard it from his mouth. Right, and maybe you could call it circumstantial, I don't know, but the the- you know it's it's bad the the uh suspect one certainly the the suspect one telling suspect two that the blanket his mama. Took the blanket out of the car and took it in the house and washed it. Well, again, that you would have just throw it away if you weren't going to keep it. And suspect one's girlfriend seeing that blanket and identified it in his court and his comforter. Suspect one, uh, writing in the diary. Suspect one buying the same comforter set, doing all this stuff. You know, it is what it is. Y'all make the decision on it. Okay. Suspect two putting himself at the body dump site three times because he says, I know my cell phone records are going to show that I was there. And, but he comes up with this lame ass excuse that he forgot to get his work stuff. And remember his story hadn't stayed the same through any of it. He changes, 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 changes. And so then saying, Crying, saying I'm going to prison for the rest of my life because my DNA is coming back out of Courtney's trunk. Uh, um, That's, you know, <laughs> but I was framed. Somebody put it there. I mean, come on, man. So that's it, y'all. I, I'm sure I'm leaving some stuff out, but th- those are the highlights of the facts. Now, to make an arrest, In the state of Louisiana, all you have to have is probable cause. Probable cause is 50% plus one. It is not beyond a reasonable doubt. Probable cause is 50% plus one. To get a conviction in the state of Louisiana, you have to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. I'm not going to tell you what I think. But if you were sitting there listening to the facts that I provided you tonight, as a jury member that had no prior knowledge of this case, and you put it together, and I'm sure a prosecutor put put it together a hell of a lot better than me, and and you know whatever. But the if you're listening to the facts, I want you to make your own decision about suspect one. And suspect you, and I want you to do with that decision what you will. So that's it. The we took on this case, and you know the the national average of solving a cold case is one out of every one hundred, and the longer the case is cold, the lower that percentage of clearance rate is. We did what we said we were going to do for the family. And I told you before I started telling you all this information that the family knows everything that I've told you. And Courtney's mama knows. And she was absolutely on board with me telling everybody where this case is at. You be the jury. You do with it what you will. I can tell you the family's not going to take it laying down now that they know the facts. And that's just the facts that I know. And I'm sure there, there are more that I'm not privy to. And that's okay, but because what I heard and what I know and what we developed over the case of this, however many months now, it is what it is. I'm not going to say my opinion. I don't want to influence anybody one way or another. You be the jury. You decide about suspect one and suspect two. And I'm Woody Overton your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast, and I want justice for Courtney Coco. Thank you for listening. And I love and appreciate each and every one of you. And this story needs to be told. Justice for Courtney. I appreciate y'all. Peace.